Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, uh, Happy New Year. Yeah. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I know that seems a little bit strange because we're jumping into a Philippian series um, this morning, but we're going to uh, spend a lot of time this morning, actually all of our time, laying the groundwork um, for uh, what God is going to be doing in the next couple of months uh, as we study Philippians. Um, and so we uh, won't actually make it specifically into the book of Philippians today. Um, so we'll be uh, kind of hanging around Acts chapter 16. Um, but as you find your way there, we're going to pray uh, in just a minute. Um, but there is, is something, obviously, that's burdened my heart um, that I'm sure might be burdening yours, burdening yours as well. Um, you I'm sure you've been watching the news or you've seen uh, at least headlines somewhere on your social media um, about uh, things that are going on uh, across the world um, involving our troops. And um, whether you are uh, a pro-Trump guy or an anti-Trump guy or you're for the government, you're not uh, for the government, wherever you stand politically, um, it's not a political thing uh, for us. It's a human being kind of a thing um, where we pray for uh, men and women who are heading out to uh, the front lines. Um, these, we've got uh, men and women who are heading to uh, the front lines with no, no um, reserve for um, their own personal safety, uh, for thoughts of whether or not that they'll come home um, or not. Um, these are husbands, uh, they are wives, they are brothers and sisters, um, their moms and dads uh, that don't know right? They, they don't know. They don't know if they're going to see battle. They don't know if they're going to engage anything. They don't know if they're going to come home. Um, and so uh, we have a responsibility as uh, of American citizens and as global citizens to, to pray for, for our men and women who are brave enough to stand in the gap for us so that we can sit here on a Sunday morning and worship without the fear of somebody coming in and shutting us down. Now, we, we don't live in a perfect society where something could not happen. We've seen that in the news recently as well. But we have the freedom to worship uh, the way that we choose to worship. And these men and women are out fighting for that and for our safety. And so um, we want to pray uh, for them. But not only do we want to pray for these guys that are out fighting, like we want to pray for our world, right? I mean, there is evil and there is chaos everywhere that we look. So we want to pray for peace. I want to pray like, Lord, come soon, because we know that peace, it doesn't come until the Lord returns completely. And so we want to pray for the peace that we can have right now, but we also want to pray, Lord Jesus, come. Heal this broken land, heal this broken world, heal our, heal our broken hearts, and restore what the locusts have destroyed. Uh, and so um, if you would, I'm just going to pray um, for our brave men and women uh, and for our time together as we jump in. Father, we're beyond party lines um, as we pray to you because we are under a citizenship and under a rule and a reign that is beyond our borders of this country. And so when we pray, we pray for people. We don't pray for Americans. We pray for people. We pray, Father, that you would um, give safety um, to our men and women who are fighting um, or who have the potential to be fighting uh, at any given time now, not knowing whether or not they'll come home. And so we pray, Father, that you would hedge them in, that you would wall them in with your protection so that as they leave, that there could be some sense that I'm going to make it back home to my kids or to my husband or to my wife or to my family or to my friends. And Lord, it's not just a prayer for Americans either. 
Lord, we're praying for people around the world who are engaging in, in battle as well. And uh, we don't pray um, that evil wins. We pray that you would stop evil. And we pray that your, your spirit would just capture the hearts of men and women who have turned a blind eye to truth, who have turned a blind eye to what it looks like to live under the rule and the reign of God. Um, the Almighty God, who is the creator of heaven and earth. And so, Lord, we pray for safety for our men and women, but we also pray for a heart change for the world that we live in. And, and so that evil um, is subjugated to the truth, and evil is subjugated to your rule and your reign. And, Lord, we just get to bask in the glory that your name is being proclaimed around this world. And so we pray for that. Uh, and we're going to spend time this morning um, diving into uh, your word and um, we're going to talk about kingdom citizenship. We're going to talk about what it looks like to live under your rule and reign. But Father, right now, like, we are actively um, in, in, in battle and all over the world. And so, Lord, do what you know is right. Do uh, what you know is best, we pray. And would you take our time this morning and would you use it for your glory? Would you use it for your honor, God? Would you establish in us uh, an ability to go deeper with you? Would you give us the ability to not sit on the surface, but to dive down into living out these kingdom values and living as men and women and as children of God and, and citizens uh, of heaven, Lord? Would you press us into that this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are starting off um, our uh, series in Philippians uh, this morning, um, but, but as I said, uh, we're going to be in Acts uh, 16 for the, most, uh, for, for the most of our time this morning, but uh, before we jump into Philippians, I really feel like we have to lay down some groundwork before we get there. I mean, it's going to be the groundwork that's going to kind of set up what Paul's going to be doing and what we're going to walk into and engage in the next couple of months as we study deeply in, in Philippians. Um, and, and, and so we've labeled this uh, series Philippians for obvious reasons, right? Because Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Um, but we also, we gave it this subtitle of, of living in the light of eternity. Because I don't think that we can read the book of Philippians without seeing that he is pressing into this idea that he's pushing the Philippians into and he's pushing anybody who will read this letter that gets circulated around the churches that circulates to us now, that he's pushing us into staying focused on the big picture and not getting hyper-focused on little things that don't matter, right? Little things that just kind of get in the way because when you focus on lesser things, when you focus on, on little things for long enough, the lesser thing begins to outweigh the main thing in your life. And the main thing or the thing that's supposed to be the main thing in your life gets subjugated to the little things and it gets dethroned from the place that it deserves in your life. And we, we get stuck in and hyper-focused on pursuing things that really don't matter. And so as we dive into Philippians, what we want to do is we want to see how Paul is re-evaluating and he's calling the church to focus on the big picture. Don't get stuck on things that don't matter. And so as he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, Paul, he's actually in prison, right? He's in prison in Rome, and he's already experienced all kinds of hardships. Yet, yet everything that he's walked through, he's like, guys, it's really not that big of a deal. Like, I've walked through some stuff. I'm in prison now, but it's not really a big deal. Things that he says throughout Ephesians are things that we typically are, become life verses for us, right? Like we throw them on the back of a bumper sticker. We put them on our cup and to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I'm not pressing, like, like we, we say, like, we're going to live by this. But this was Paul saying, this is my mindset in everything that I've walked through. This is my mindset in the hard times. This is my mindset in the good things. And, and so this is, these are some of the words he says. 
He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me is for the advancement of the gospel. Like, like, don't sweat what I'm going through right now because the whole imperial guard is hearing about the truth of Jesus. Like the whole Roman guard, the praetorian guard, like they are learning and hearing about Jesus. So don't worry about me. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Don't worry about me. How frustrating must Paul have been to, to people who were trying to get rid of him, right? Like, like Paul, they're like, hey, we're going to put you in jail. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to lock you up. So it's like, go ahead, man. Like the whole Roman world's going to hear about Jesus. It's not a big deal to me. Okay, well, it's not a big deal. Then, then we're going to kill you. Well, to live is Christ. To die is gain. You're just going to send me to where I want to be ultimately anyway. How frustrating must Paul must have been if you're trying to get rid of this guy and to squash him out. But this is his mindset, right? It's really not that big of a deal. Two times, or, or, or 14 times, uh, or more. He uses these two words, rejoice and joy. And it is, you just see it flowing throughout the book. He says, you can rejoice and joy no matter what you're walking through. It's not that big of a deal for me. He says, don't worry about it because I count everything lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And on top of all that, he'll write in this book, we're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of this earth. We're not citizens, and we're not building our little kingdoms and, and spending time on things that don't matter here on this earth. He says, we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. This is the mindset that Paul jumps into the book of Philippians with. And so he's going to remind us over and over again, don't get sidetracked by things that don't matter. Stay focused on the big picture. Now, I'm guessing that most of us in the room kind of know what the big picture is, right? Uh, or at least know what a big picture is. Um, uh, some of y'all, like, you, you do puzzles, right? Like thousand-piece puzzles. Um, I don't know why anybody would do that, um, but some of y'all are puzzle people. And you go to the store, and you can buy, like, a thousand-piece puzzle. And I don't know if you can buy uh, bigger puzzles, like 50,000-piece puzzles. I don't know. Like, hey, we got all this, and we're going to spend the rest of our life putting together this puzzle. <laughs> Um, but maybe that's you. Um, but when you buy a puzzle, right, you go to the store and you get this puzzle and, uh, and it's a thousand pieces or so, however many it is. And, and you see the box and you've got the cover on the box. And that's the one I want. And it's got the, the horse on the front of it. And well, I don't know why all puzzles have to have a horse somewhere on them um, or a cat, you know, uh, but you got the horse on there and it, it's standing in the, the fields of uh, beautiful green grass and the, the back mountainscape is there. And it's, that's a beautiful box. Like that's the puzzle that I want. And you know, that's the end goal. Like you're going to sit down, you're going to do this puzzle, and that's what you're shooting for. And so you bring that puzzle home, and you, you open it up, and you rip out all the puzzles, or you rip out all, uh, the, the, the box, and you dump it on the table, and you've got all these thousand pieces. They're, they're sitting there, and before you know it, you're elbow deep in putting together um, uh, puzzle pieces. And, you know, you're putting them together, and after a while, you know, you've got some of them together. You're like, oh, I'm making progress on, on this, this thing, and I've got a little pile over here that they look like they go together, and I've got a little pile over here that they, they look like they go together. But but at no point in time when you're putting that puzzle together does that one piece or those few little pieces, or do they become the goal of the puzzle, right? The big picture is the goal because if you just stop with this little pile or you stop with this little pile or you start jamming things in and forcing pieces together, that's not the whole picture. And so if we settle for anything less than the whole picture or get focused on or hyper-focused on just the one piece or just a couple pieces and we lose sight of the big picture, we're not... We, we haven't reached the goal of what we're attaining to. And so it can be so easy for us to lose sight of, of the big picture and to start squeezing and forcing pieces in. But worse yet, 
It can be, it can be even more damaging if we say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm settled by just a few pieces that I've already got together. And we, we settle it and say, well, well, this is the end goal. No, no, we've lost sight of the entire big picture. And the unfortunate thing is, is this happens in our faith too, right? Like we come to Christ, um, God does a miraculous work inside of us, and he graciously pulls us out of whatever mess it is. All of us were a mess that before Jesus came. Most of us are still a mess too. He's working things out of us. But he graciously comes in, and he pulls us out of that mess, completely transforms our lives, so much so that the Apostle Paul would say, you know what? You are a brand new creation. Not, not a better version of who you used to be, but you are a brand new creation. We didn't just kind of grab you and clean you up. Like he completely retooled you. He completely rewired you. And you are a brand new creation. Rewired, retooled, reworked with a brand new ethic, with a brand new value system. Some of you all know retooling and reworking and rewiring because you grew up with dads who could put anything back together. You could rip them apart and pull back together like nothing ever happened to it. Some of y'all grew up with dads who, like I said, I'll fix it. When they put it together, you're like, that doesn't even look like what it started with. Like, this is not even close. And, and, and so, like, dad, your TV breaks, and dad grabs the TV and says, I got this. I got this. And, and so he brings it back, and it's fixed. But now the, the channel changer uh, uh, changes the volume, and the volume changes the channel. And the picture that used to go this way is now going this way with mirror vision. And it's just not the way that it started. And it's not even fixed completely. Or, or you come to him with a, a, a broken uh, electric window in your car. He says, Dad, fix this, please. And, and then you've got this window, and he says, I got this. I got, I'm going to retool, I'm going to rework, I'm going to rewire. And, and then he brings it back to you, and your electric window suddenly has a crank on it. And, and so now you're like, I got this, man. I'm hot. I'm going to crank this thing down. It's kind of fixed, but it's not retooled and rewired like brand new, right? It's janky. It's a janky window. It's a janky TV. But this isn't the retooling and the rewiring that Paul is talking about in Christ. He says, in Christ, we are a brand new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're not a better version of our old self. We are brand new, a brand new person. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, now as new people that have been transferred out of an old kingdom into a kingdom of light, he says, what's happened to you as a brand new person that you've been taken out of this old kingdom this old kingdom of darkness that has its set of values, that has its set of ethics, and you've been taken out of this kingdom and you've been transferred into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven that is ruled and reigned by his son, Jesus. And in this kingdom, there's a brand new ethic. There's a brand new living ethic. There's a brand new value system that's no longer governed by this old system, but is governed by the king of kings, the Lord of lords, right? That this new system and this new ethic is governed by being a citizen of heaven. We're no longer citizens of this earth or, or just citizens of this earth. We now have a dual citizenship with the, the citizenship that we hold on earth and a citizenship now that we hold in heaven. And so Paul says that we have become citizens of a new kingdom. And as citizens of a new kingdom, we have a brand new ethic we have a brand new value system to live by. And this value system and this ethic is intended to drive every single thing that we do because we're not part of this kingdom anymore. We're part of a brand new kingdom in this dual, in this, in, in, in this dual citizenship. Now, it's difficult to wrap our minds around because we, we physically live in, in this domain, right? We live in the physical. We live in this kingdom of the world that we are somehow still a part of because we're human beings and we live here. But yet, this isn't where we set up shop. 
This isn't home for us. We've been transferred out of this kingdom, and now we live in this kingdom of God. And it's hard. Like, we can see this kingdom. We can feel this kingdom. But we're a part of something over here that we can't even see. And because we can't see it, it would be so easy for us to get locked into a system and an ethic of this earthly kingdom if we lose sight of the big picture. If we lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is that we're part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. <clears throat> we're part of something that is truly, this is going to sound you know, phenomenal or fantastic in, in, a, in a mystical sense, but we're truly part of something that is out of this world, right? We are part of a kingdom, and we belong to a kingdom called the kingdom of heaven. And in that kingdom, there's a new value system. There's new ethics. And we've got to stay locked in to this bigger picture. I want you to settle your mind on this for just a second. Like right now, as you sit here in this room, in uh, our little area, right, you are citizens of, uh, of America or you're citizens of whatever your, your, your country is. And, and, and not only are you just citizens uh, of this world or your, your country, but we are citizens of this heavenly kingdom called the kingdom of God. And as part of this kingdom, you're called to live in light of eternity. That's the big picture. It's not to settle into being satisfied by smaller or, or lesser things. It's not to be satisfied by building our little kingdom here and setting up shop like this is our last resort. Like this is our resort and we're going to try to make it as good as we can while we're here and, and then like in this, pretend like this is the end goal. This is not the end goal. The end goal is what we're living towards. It's living in light of eternity. And so we don't waste our time building up this little kingdom over here. But isn't this exactly what what Jesus himself talked about in the Sermon on the Mount with the difference of the two kingdoms. He was coming and he was talking about the difference in um, the kingdom that he was bringing and the kingdom that was of the past. And he was drawing this contrast between the two and he was talking about setting up his kingdom ethic and setting up his kingdom values for those who would be walking into the kingdom of heaven, who would be walking and who would be trusting in Jesus. And what he was doing, the value system that he was bringing and the value system that he brought and the value system that we live under as citizens of heaven stands in contrast to any other value system that has been sustained throughout any period of history throughout the world, right? This value system has always stood in contradiction to live for now, live for today, build your kingdom now, and you rule and you reign. It's never been about being autonomous and do your own thing and build your own kingdom. It's always been about being a part of something bigger, being a part of of his kingdom. But yet it's always been a temptation in whatever culture, at whatever time in history that that people have lived, to simply just live for today and to set up and be satisfied with the little kingdoms that we end up building. But listen to the difference that Jesus talks about when he's in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, you heard it said, don't murder. I say don't even get angry enough with somebody that you'd want to kill him. You heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look at somebody with lustful intent. You've heard it said, it's okay to just break up and end a marriage for no reason at all. I say, don't get divorced without the, 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 the caveat of sexual immorality. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Get revenge any way that you can. I say, turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that there is a different value system 
And there's a different cultural ethic that the kingdom of God is governed by. And if we lose sight of this, this big picture, it's so easy for us to get settled into an old system or to stay into the old system and live by the old system values and old system ethics instead of living out of the new kingdom ethics and living out of the new kingdom values that are true of us and become ours as citizens of heaven. But Paul will show us over and over and over again that we're different. We're not citizens of, or not just citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven, completely new, governed, and we're to be satisfied by the things of God and not the things of this world. And so the question is going to be for us as people who have trusted Jesus, who are walking with Jesus, are we functionally living under the rule and reign of God inside his kingdom uh, or, 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 and, and, and by, I, when I say functionally, I'm talking about, like, are we, I, this isn't a theory, this isn't something that we think is a good idea, but are we functionally and actively day-to-day living under the rule and the reign of God as citizens of heaven? Or are we functionally living as worldly citizens, ruled and reigned by lesser things, satisfied with just a few pieces being slammed together, or a few pieces that we've got set over here, or a few pieces of the puzzle over here, saying, this is the big picture for me. When these little pieces are to find their value in the bigger whole. Are we settling for less? Are we living as kingdom citizens? See, what often happens is that instead of living as citizens of heaven here on this earth, we settle into the ethics of the old system and to the values of the old kingdom and we settle for less than God's best in us living out the kingdom values. And, and, and here, here's what I've noticed in my own life. Uh, I don't know if any of this is true for you, but this is true for me in my own life. I, I've noticed um, that I, I've been uh, getting caught up and I've been settling in uh, to the living like this place is my home. Right? I, I, I too often care too much about what's going on in my own little world and building my own little nest egg and building my own little home and building my own fun little places and making sure that my life is resort-like and there's all kinds of comfort and there's no discomfort in my life. And, and, and I find that I've spent so much time on this and spent so much money and so much effort and so much energy on things that really don't matter. I'm not saying don't have money. I'm not saying don't make money. I'm not saying live like you don't have anything. Like I'm, I'm just saying what, what, what's, what my focus sometimes becomes is I get wrapped up into this instead of what's the big picture here. And, and, and God's been so good to me, but harsh with me here recently at the same time. Um, because I was going to start this message um, talking about how grumpy I've been. Because I, over the past couple of months, like, I've just been grumpy. I haven't been very nice. Um, my kids would be able to tell you that. My wife would be able to tell you that. Now, I'm, I'm nice usually around most people in, in a group setting or around other people. Maybe I'm not. If we've interacted, you'd be like, dude, you're, you're deceiving yourself. Um, but I, I've been grumpy. And what I've found is the reason that I've been grumpy, the Lord's just kind of been like, re, like pulling back some layers for me, is that I'm not focused on the things that are truly satisfying. Like I'm spending a lot of effort and a lot of energy on a lot of time on things that don't really satisfy. And when I put my effort and my energy into things that don't satisfy, when I'm not satisfied, I get grumpy. And so what the Lord has been doing is like, hey, buddy, where's your treasure? What are you really valuing? And so I was spending some time with Jesus this week in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and he just, bam, you ever been hit by the scripture? Um, he just like popped these words off the pages. They weren't new words to me, but he, he resonated them in my heart. And I want to read uh, this to you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a lot of people read this in the context of money, right? But I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, what is the kingdom that, is, that you're going to live under that's going to drive your values? What are the kingdom that, what's the kingdom that you're going to live under that's going to drive what your desires are going to be? What's the kingdom that you're going to live under that's going to drive what's going to satisfy you? And what he was doing for me was like, hey, you need to make sure you're treasuring the things that I treasure. You need to make sure that I'm still your treasure, not these other things uh, around you. And I think sometimes for me what happens is, is I forget not theologically, right? Because I know in my big fat brain um, that does, sometimes it just feels like things that are rattling around in there. But I, I know like what I believe about God. I know the things that, that, I, that I believe that are true about him. But I think functionally, sometimes I forget that he really is the true treasure. I don't know if any of you find yourself in the same situation as I do, but there are times where I just get so hyper-focused on things that just don't matter. And I forget that he is the thing. And his values are the things that drive me back to understanding that this is the treasure. And, and, and so I wanted to start there this morning. Because you're like, well, I mean, we're not even talking about Philippians. But I, I want to lay some groundwork here because this is what Paul is going to be pushing into and pressing against when he's talking to the Philippians. He's going to keep reminding them that they are part of a system that is bigger than they are. And if they get wrapped up and get bent around the axle, around things that don't matter, then they're going to be losing sight of the big picture. And so as we're starting in Philippians here, um, uh, I, I think what we're going to see is Paul is going to keep reminding us this is the big picture because it's so easy for us to get distracted and to, and to prioritize things that don't matter, even today, but it was the same then because the church in Philippi, they were dealing with all kinds of issues, right? Like every, usually when Paul is writing a letter, because it's usually because he's addressing some things, Philippians like gets the easiest letter that he writes to anybody, but they were still dealing with some things. And, and so these, these issues would pop up then because they were losing sight of the big picture. And so what Paul says is, hey, I want to remind us that we're citizens of heaven living here on this earth, but this earth isn't our home. Heaven is our home. And if, <clears throat> and if I live like this world or act like this world is my home and I stop living in light of eternity, issues are going to keep popping up in my personal life and issues are going to keep popping up within the church as well. So remember that this world isn't your treasure, that Jesus is your treasure. And so he's going to remind us over and over again, because Jesus is your treasure, you can have joy when it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And because Jesus is your treasure, you can be humble when the bravado and the bragging and the mantra and the creed of our culture is, yes, it's all about you. It's what you can accomplish. Like, why not boast up yourself? Why not build up your kingdom? Why not build up you? Says, because Jesus is your treasure. You don't have to get wrapped up in all that mess. You can be humble. And because Jesus is your treasure, you can have unity in spite of ridiculous issues and differences and silly disagreements that pop up. And because Jesus is your treasure, you can live for eternity when everybody else is living for today. Because this is not your home. Jesus is your treasure. And you're not building your kingdom here. You're building in the kingdom that he's put you inside of. I said, so don't settle for anything less. And so what we're going to constantly hear Paul come back to in, in all kinds of different ways, and the question that we're going to ask over and over and over again throughout this series is, are we living like this world is our home? Are we living like this world is our home? Or are we living as kingdom citizens of heaven, consumed by the rule and the reign 
of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's taken us and made us his children out of a kingdom of darkness and placed us into the kingdom of light. So what I'm going to do right now is going to feel clunky, but I'm going to transition out of all that and we're going to move like into the beginning pieces of Philippians, okay? And so we, in, in the past, we've talked a little bit how the church in Philippi um, was started. Um, and, and so I'm just going to, I'm going to give a, a quick uh, refresher on that. And so let's start with Paul, right? Paul, he's this guy who wanted nothing more than just to crush the Christians, the, the followers of the way. He, had, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and he's pressing down hard on the church, and the church has begun to explode throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Um, but at this time, it's pretty isolated, right? Um, it, it's, it's still kind of in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It hasn't yet gone to the entire world. It's not a global church yet. <clears throat> and so then in Acts chapter 9, now remember um, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, it's a, a history of how God blew the doors off the entire world. And, and, and he, he brings um, the grace of God through Jesus to, to, the, entire, uh, and to the entire world. And so um, Acts is tracking the history of that. And in Acts chapter 9, we bump into this, this crusty old law-soaked Pharisee named Paul. And Paul has this, uh, in, the, in, in the moment he saw, but he has this radical encounter with the grace of God. And as he has this radical encounter with the grace of God, his life in an instant changes. It flips completely upside down. And, and suddenly everything that he's been striving for, everything that he's been living for, the value system that he's under, the world system, the world ethic and culture, the citizenship that he's been living by, that all loses its grip on Paul. And what happens is, is that this dude sells out for Jesus. The old man's gone. The new man comes in, and this new man is no longer just a kingdom of this old world, but this new man's a kingdom, and a, a, he's, a, a, he's a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And what happens is his world of excess changes. He's got entitlement to just about everything. His prestige as, as being a religious elite, that begins to change. People knowing his name for what we would say would be for all the wrong reasons. That's all changing. All of this prestige and being elite, that's no longer the same, and it's all gone. It's been taken away. And you know what? Paul doesn't care. He could care less because Jesus has become his treasure, and his passion has become the kingdom of God. And so he starts taking this message of Jesus and the message of his kingdom to, uh, throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and that's kind of, the message's already been there. But Paul is a catalyst in getting the message out to the rest of the world. And so what happens is the book of Acts gives us the entire history of these missionary journeys that Paul makes in places like Syria and Cyprus and Galatia and Asia and Macedonia and all the places that he stops within these regions as well. And, and Paul has a strategy, right? When he's in these regions, he goes in and he begins to tell people, he, he wants to plant churches. And so as he's planting churches, he tells people about Jesus. He tells them about the kingdom values that are part of the kingdom of heaven. And he trusts the church into, um, uh, into he leaves the church in trusted hands of somebody who he shared the gospel with, who has really grasped a hold of it, and they begin to teach the gospel too. And then he leaves. And the follow-up is he'll write a letter to that church to, hey, how are you doing? These are the things I've heard. I wanted you to know. Stay focused on this or, or change this. Like, these are the things that I'm hearing. I'm encouraged about you. Or, like, I, I want to implore you to make some changes. Or he'll, if he can, he actually goes and physically visits the church. But that's Paul's strategy. Plant the church, build up the church, leave the church, and encourage the church after he's gone. 
And one of the places that he stops is in Macedonia. And so while Paul is in Macedonia, um, or why Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're in Asia, um, they, they, they want to go into Asia and they want to share the gospel there, but the Holy Spirit shows them like, look, don't go there. I, I don't know why, but don't go there. This is not your time to be in this space. And so they say, okay, well, what are we going to do now? And around that time, Paul has a vision. And the vision that he has is of this man saying, hey, come over here to Macedonia and to help us. We want to know about Jesus. Come tell us about Jesus. And so Paul, believing that this is from God, he says, okay, let's go to Macedonia. And so he gathers a crew and they head across the water and there they are. Now they're in Macedonia. And when they land in Macedonia, they land in a place called Philippi. And the first thing that Paul notices about Philippi is that this is a thoroughly Roman colony, right? It's thoroughly Roman. Everything about it is, is Roman. There's actually the place where uh, ex-Roman soldiers would go. These, these ex-GIs, would, they would retire from their call of duty, and then they would go and they would set up shop there. And so they, they're taking all the retirement funds and they're living in Philippi, and, and there they are. And, um, and the, this, because it's a Roman colony, they're not taxed by the Romans either. So it's a wealthy colony. So um, there's money is affluent. People have extra spending money in the wallet, so they're spending it in the market. So this is a cultural hub of the known world at this time. And so this is a well-known city. It's got a lot of people that are living in there. It's, we would say that it's booming. Uh, one commentator uh, said that apart from Rome itself, Philippi was no doubt the most Roman of all the cities that Paul had actually visited. In, in other words, like if you were to step in uh, to Philippi, you were to visit Philippi, and you were familiar with Rome, and you'd been to Rome, you'd walk into to Philippi, and you'd say, man, this place reminds me of Rome. This place reminds me of Rome so much that it feels like it could be just a little, a, a small version of Rome in and of itself. And this is significant, right? That, that when Paul walks in and sees how Roman this place is, because there's really no presence of Christianity there. There's really no presence of the church life there. People are living under the, the rule and the reign of this earth. People are living under the rule and reign in the kingdom of darkness. They're living under the rule and reign of the kingdom of Rome. And, and so, but what Paul finds out while he's there is that there actually are, like there aren't any Christians there yet, but there are people there that are interested in the things of God. And so in Acts chapter 16, these two kingdoms collide. The earth kingdom collides with the heavenly kingdom because Paul is bringing Jesus into this land. He's bringing Jesus to the people of Philippi. And there are three people that we get to encounter that, that um, Acts chapter 16 highlights that we would, we would just expect, like, there is no way on earth that God would choose to use these people to found the church in Philippi. Like, there's no way, because they're not the people that you and I would choose at all. But yet, God doesn't work in our economy. He works in his own economy, right? And so the first person that we run into is a, uh, a woman named Lydia. Lydia, she's a, uh, uh, um, she's, a fashionista. She's banking in the city. Um, she has uh, this business of, of purple. She uh, is, um, it, it's, a, it's a rare deal for a woman to have a lot of money in the, in the culture anyway, but she is leading in this culture. And uh, she's selling purple clothes and stuff to the, these XGIs that are coming there, to the people who have money. She is doing very well for herself. And, and under the kingdom of the world, she is, she's living it, man. Like she's got, she's making money, making a living, settling in nicely, and she is living her best life now. Like she is building up her little kingdom and she's doing well for herself. But Paul jumps in and he shares the gospel with her. And what happens is her world flips upside down because she trusts in Christ. And she goes home and her entire household 
trusts in Christ, and they are baptized. And what happens is she opens up her massive house for this newly forming church there in Philippi. And her world begins to look far different than it looked before. And then after uh, Paul meets Lydia, he leaves there and he takes Silas with him, and they're presumably they're heading out and they're spending time uh, sharing the gospel in, in different places, and they bump into this this slave girl, this little slave girl who's being controlled and possessed by a demon. I don't know if you've ever met one of those. I have not yet, um, which, uh, which is good, I think. And, <clears throat> but this little slave girl who's possessed by a demon starts following Paul around in Silas, and she starts screaming and yelling behind him everywhere they're going to try to share the gospel. This demon is yelling out through her. Um, he's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And so what we need to picture in our world is that there's somebody here who's wearing a sandwich board, you know, on front and back covered up that says, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell unless you trust Jesus. And, and, and they got the megaphone and they're yelling this out and you're yelling this out. And they're more of a nuisance than they are a help to you. And so scripture says that Paul is greatly annoyed at what's going on because she is doing this day after day after day everywhere that they go. And so he turns around and says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it did. It came out. And the assumption is that this, this little slave girl who is owned by people and possessed by a demon now has her life encountered by the grace of God. And she follows Jesus and she becomes a kingdom citizen of heaven and no longer just a citizen of this world. But this doesn't make their owners, her owners, very happy because they were making money off her. She had the ability to tell the fortune uh, of people who would pay money. It's like a tarot card reader or uh, a fortune reader or whatever these, these things are that, that, that people go to. This was the, the, the ancient picture of that, being controlled by a demon, being able to do that. And so now their income is gone because she's not doing that anymore. She's not living for that kingdom. She's living for a brand new kingdom. And so these men are mad. And so they go into the city. They take Paul and Silas. They throw him into the, the city square where the business and the, and the hub is. And there's rulers that are in this space. And they say, listen, these men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They're advocating for customs that we don't agree with. They're customs that are unlawful for us. And what we need to hear is that what they're saying is they are teaching a kingdom that is colliding with our kingdom. They're teaching a way that is different than our way. They're teaching a rule and a reign and a different set of values than the rule and the reign that we know. And we don't like it. And so what happens is a riot begins to take place and they throw Paul and Silas into prison. And in prison, they take their bodies and they contort their bodies in ways that, that are completely uncomfortable and they lock them in stocks and they, they chain them up. And so right now, you've got Lydia and her family. You've got a demon-possessed slave girl who've come to Christ and are now part of the church in Philippi. And now you've got Paul and Silas. These guys are locked up in prison, right? They're, they're, they're locked up in prison and they're most likely being tortured by this jailer who's in charge. And Paul and Silas, while they're locked up in prison in all kinds of difficult uh, contortions and pain that their body's in, they begin to sing hymns to God. And Scripture says that the people who are in the jail, they begin to hear this message that's going out through their song. Now, how frustrating would Paul and Silas be? Like if you're trying to shut these guys up, but they're singing all through the night. Like, guys, shut up. Go to sleep. What's wrong with you? But they're not. They're singing. And then somewhere at night, this jailer falls asleep. And as he's asleep, these men are still singing. 
The whole jail is hearing about the good news of Jesus through these songs. And what happens is God sends this earthquake that shatters the foundation of the ground, shatters the, found, the foundation of the jail itself, and all the chains burst forth, right? And as, the, as everybody is set free, the jailer wakes up and is like, oh, what's going on here? And there's a riot that's getting ready to take place. And so he's a fearing his life that these people are going to come and kill him. And if they don't kill him, his boss is going to kill him because everything's going chaotic inside the jail. And so he says, I'm not going to wait for them to kill me or him to kill me. I'm going to kill myself. And so he takes the sword, and he's about to take his own life. And then Paul jumps in and says, no, don't do it. We're all here. Like, we're here. Like, don't kill yourself. We're here. And then what Paul does is he tells them about Jesus. And guess what happens? The kingdom that this man had been living for, the kingdom that had controlled this man's life, has lost its appeal to this Philippian jailer. And he trusts Jesus and becomes a citizen of heaven, and then his whole world begins to turn upside down. And then Paul teaches his family, and his family gets saved, and everybody gets baptized that night. And I want you to listen to the difference that happens in this worldly kingdom and the kingdom of heaven, because he's gone from one to the other. This grizzled soldier, who is probably a soldier who retired there in Philippi, who's become a jailer to just to kind of spend time, had beat these men had tortured these men. And then the Lord flips his world upside down, and then the wounds that he blasted on these men, he begins to put salve on and cleanse. <laughs> this is what the kingdom of God does. This is the value system. This is the ethic that changes when you become, uh, when you leave one citizenship to go to uh, another. He begins to take care of these men's wounds. And not only does he begin to nurse back the health, the, the wounds that he inflicted on them, he invites them to the house. and says, here, let's eat. He puts a feast out in front of them. He says, let's spend time together. Let's eat together. Let's fellowship together. This man's life was completely turned upside down because his old kingdom collided with the kingdom of heaven. And this is the start of the church in Philippi. Lydia, <laughs> her family, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a Philippian jailer and, and, and his family, all meeting in, in Lydia's house. And at the time that Paul writes this, he's in prison again. Not just in prison there in, um, uh, uh, in jail in, in Philippi. Now he's in prison in, in Rome. And he's actually writing this letter from Rome around 62 AD, 30 years after Jesus ascended, 10 years after the church in Philippi had been planted, and as he writes this letter, he's not concerned about his chains that he had in Philippi. He's not con concerned about the chains that he's wearing right now in Rome. He's not concerned about everything that he's been through. What he's concerned about is that these folks in Philippi, that this church had been planted in tenure, he's, he's concerned that they are walking in the light of eternity, that they would live as citizens of heaven who had been transferred from the old kingdom into a new kingdom, who had been, had their value system and their ethics system completely changed, and he wants them to live as citizens who are children of God, belonging to him, not satisfied by the things of this earth, not sidetracked away from the big picture. And, and so what we're going to do throughout this series is we're going to dive deeply in, into the book, right? But this is just laying out the background and the mindset of Paul as he's laying this out, he's saying, I want us to remember, I want us to recall 
the big picture so that we don't get lost in the things that don't really matter. And so we're going to keep coming back. We're going to ask ourselves some questions as we're going through the book. The first question is going to be, like, what am I truly treasuring, right? What am I truly treasuring? What is the thing that, that controls my desires? What are the things that controls the things, my passions? What am I truly treasuring? And of course, you know, what will I be satisfied? Like, not only what am I satisfied by now, but what will I choose to be satisfied by? What's the kingdom value that I'm going to choose to live under? Am I going to live under the values of the old kingdom, or am I going to choose to live under the values of this new kingdom? And the question that Paul is going to bring us back to over and over again, and the question that we're going to ask ourselves is, am I living like this world is my home, or am I living like a citizen of heaven? So I want you to think about the box again. Like all those pieces in the box. The big picture is on the outside of the box. And we could get hyper-focused on the little things. But the little things, they find their value in the big picture. The little things find their value and their worth in the whole. And so when you start focusing on the little things, we forget the big picture. But when you think about the big picture, you make kingdom decisions. You make kingdom choices. Because the pieces, again, make sense inside the greater whole. And so... Are you going to focus on the big picture or are you going to focus on the little things? I'm looking forward to spending time in Philippians and finding out. So keep coming back uh, the next few months. Like, that's where we're going to be. We're going to hang out in Philippians. Let me pray with you. Father, thanks so much. Thanks for the time to be able to spend in your word. Thank you that your word speaks to us. Um, thanks, Lord, that you've given us a, a biblical theology. That, that spans the text, that spans the, um, the whole Bible from beginning to end. And from beginning to end, you've shown that you have a plan and a purpose for us. And your desire has been for us to be with you in your kingdom, living with you and living by your kingdom values and your kingdom rules. Thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices, that you've given us your son, you've given us your spirit, and your spirit lives in us. And so we don't walk and try to make these decisions on our own. Are we going to choose to live for now? Are we going to choose to live in light of eternity? Like your spirit is in us and, and prompts us that direction and moves us that way. And so you're already in us doing the work. So help us just to submit to you to do it. Let your rule and reign lead us in everything that we do. Father, may we not be satisfied by anything less than you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.